Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. I want to take a second to tell you about a podcast I think you'll really like, Mayday. No one is prepared for disaster. No one knows exactly how they'll react in a plane crash, an earthquake, or when a lone gunman decides to open fire. On May Day, you'll hear about the people who had to find out, people whose stories deserve to be heard. Join hosts Maya Nalani and Luke Welland as they tell you about extraordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Listen to May Day wherever you get your podcasts. Realm presents Bullet Catcher, Season 2, Episode 16. Carry the Burden. Pedestrians along the street scramble for cover as the carriage careens down the lane. Out of the way! Comes Kef's voice from up in the driver's seat. Lobo climbs out the open door, shimmies across the side of the carriage, and climbs up next to him. Up ahead, the river terminates at the dam, which marks the ledge of the plateau. Beyond, there's nothing but open air and a sheer drop to the desert basin. At the edge, the lane turns sharply and comes to an end at a pair of iron gates, guarding both ends of the dam. Get ready to jump, Cass yells. But the chance never comes. At the edge, the carriage slows, and then turn sharply towards the dam. We go up on two wheels and out the window, I can make out the basin floor, far below, eschewed by clouds and mist from the falling water. And then the wagon falls back onto all four wheels, and we go crashing through the iron gate. The two gunslingers guarding it dive into the water. Finally, halfway across the dam, the horses limp to a halt. Jumping down, I run to the front of the carriage. Up in the driver's seat, Kef holds his shoulder where he's been shot, and I'm not sure if it was one of the stray bullets from Mal's shooter, or if one of the other gunslingers got him. Cass and Nico pile out after me, and Nico says, What the hell do we do now? At the far end of the dam, the second pair of gates opens, and a motorized wagon heads for us. It stops around 50 yards away, turning sideways along the dam, blocking off any escape in that direction. The back opens up and a posse of gunslingers jumps out, covered in armor and carrying guns like cannons. Whatever it is, we better do it fast, says Cass. Lobo looks over the edge of the dam, like he's actually considering whether he can survive the jump. The posse marches towards us in regimented lockstep, their armor and weapons clattering louder as they grow nearer. The way we came, the two gunslingers are pulling themselves out of the water, like two ragged dogs. Kef eases himself down from the driver's seat and says, 
We might be able to lose them in town. We will have a better chance if we split up. Cass agrees. But then another buggy, flying down the lane along the river, screams to a stop at the end of the dam. The doors open, and out steps Mal, bloodied, her clothes torn from the fallout of the moving carriage, and flanked on both sides by more gunslingers. It's over, traitors, she yells. Look where we're both standing, Mal. Who's the real traitor? Lobo shouts back. Mal ignores him. The gunslingers draw their guns and start walking towards us. Behind us comes the clattering of armor, loud like stampeding hooves. Now what? Says Kef. Nico unholsters one of his shooters and, handing it to him, says, Now we fight. Kef takes the gun, his hand shaking. I doubt he's ever so much as held one before. He'll be the first of us to die, I think. And all I hope is that I go next, before the others, so that I don't have to watch it happen. I'm not sure who shoots first, whether it's Nico or one of the gunslingers, but all of a sudden there's bullets flying everywhere. Kef ducks behind the carriage for cover and shoots back at the armored gunslingers, but the bullets just ping off them. Cass, Lobo, and I have formed a line. Cass and Lobo face the armored gunslingers, and I face Mal, who closes the distance between us slowly, dragging one of her feet behind her. She holds her gun in her hand, but she doesn't use it. And I figure the only thing that's going through her mind is how she'd like to finish what she started in the carriage when she tried to strangle the life out of me. Nico steps toward her, his gun raised. Don't, I yell, but it's too late. He pulls the trigger. I break ranks and run for him. Mal grabs the bullet out of the air and throws it back, as though she were playing catch and the bullet was nothing but a child's ball. I tackle Nico to the ground, in time to hear the bullet whistle by our heads and splinter the side of the carriage. Nico sprints back to his feet, pulling me up with him, and we take cover on the far side of the wagon, overlooking the cliff edge. Cass and Lobo have managed to take out a few of the gunslingers. They've even managed to fell a couple of armored soldiers, but it's not enough. And more gunslingers are pulling up in buggies, unloaded and advancing on us. Any moment now, they'll swallow us up and it'll all be over. And now I find myself, like Lobo, peering over the edge of the cliff and wondering what else can be done. Don't even think about it, says Nico. It's already over, I tell him. They aim to take everything I haven't lost already. No, he says. Nothing is ever lost. Not forever. We found each other twice. If it comes to it, we'll do it again. I look up at him and he's smiling. It's that sad kind of smile you give someone at the advent of a parting. But you smile anyway because you don't want the other person to know how sad you are. I smile back at him. And I imagine it looks much the same. All right, I say. Let's not go losing our courage at the last moment. He takes my hand and squeezes, and then we part. But I don't make it more than a step from behind the carriage when a pair of large hands grab me and lift me into the air. I'm thrown to the ground and go skittering across the stone, stopping inches from the side of the cliff. When I look up, Mal is already on top of me, and I have to squirm away to keep her from pushing me over the edge. I stand and we face each other. In her fist, she grips a short, mean-looking knife with a honed, gnarled blade, dented by muscle and bone. You could have been strong, 
She yells over the gunfire. But you chose weakness! I'm not the one who sold my soul to the gunslingers for the sake of a vendetta. She says nothing else. Her eyes dilate with rage and she charges me, her knife held out like the end of a spear. I sidestep her attack, terribly aware of the soles of my boots sliding inches from the edge. I duck low and deliver a quick jab to her side. She snarls in pain and swipes at me with the knife, catching my shoulder with the tip and spraying blood across the stones. She dives at me again, throwing her whole weight at me. She drives the knife towards my belly. I catch her wrist and as she falls on top of me, the tip of the blade only just pricks my skin. We lie there, locked together. And she smiles a toothy, jagged grin because she knows my strength will give out before hers. There's a loud clatter as another armored gunslinger falls mere feet away from us. Blood gushes from a bullet hole that found flesh between his armor and helmet. This is it, Mal grunts. Now be a good girl and die. She pushes harder on the knife and the first inch pinches my belly. The blade is so sharp I hardly feel it, except for the warmth spreading through my shirt as it dampens with blood. Get up, cub. It's Lobo's voice in my head. Those three words that he spoke to me so long ago, still echoing in my head. Words that always seem to come back to me when I'm tired and hurt and ready to give up. Three words that remind me that as long as I still have breath in my body, the fight's not over. I squeeze Mal's wrist until her smile turns to a grimace and she grinds her teeth in pain. I tuck my knee to my chest and push her off me. She tumbles with a grunt, a few paces from the dead-armored gunslinger. The knife goes skittering across the stones and off the side of the cliff. I have only a moment to take in the scene. There's Kef, slumped against the carriage. The gun Nico lent him on the ground beside his open hand. I don't know if he's breathing, but it sure doesn't look like it. And there's Nico, taking cover behind one of the horses, riddled with bullets. And there's Cass and Lobo, standing back to back in that way they've done countless times since before I met either of them, the sweat and blood pouring down their bodies. And on both sides, the two lines of gunslingers, closing in, ready to swallow us whole. Look! Shouts Nico, pointing. I follow his gaze and at first can't make out what he's pointing at. It looks like a dark smudge on the backdrop of the gleaming sky. Then it comes a little nearer, and it hits me. The Irregular's balloon. And I can almost picture Knack up there in the basket looking down at us, praying to the wind to carry him faster. And the thought gives me hope. The gunslingers turn their attention to the balloon, but their shots ping harmlessly off the old armor plating. Mal picks herself off the ground, and there's something new in her hand. The armored gunslinger's rocket gun. I have just enough time to square myself to her before she hefts it level with her waist and pulls the trigger. The force sends her staggering backward. The missile hurtles toward me. I dip my shoulder and turn away from the projectile, and it sails past. It spirals through the air and collides with the gunslinger's armored buggy. The buggy erupts in a deafening explosion. The shockwave knocks everyone to the ground, and when I look up, an orange and black plume rises to the sky, and all that's left of the buggy is a smoldering crater. Then a low rumble passes through the dam, followed by a sound like a tree being felled, a terrible cracking noise again and again. The ground beneath us spiderwebs with fissures. There's another jolt, and all of a sudden a large chunk of the dam breaks away, 
sending a dozen or so gunslingers off the edge where they disappear into the mist below. The water, held back by the dam, pours over the side, eroding away more each moment the shattered but still intact portions of the dam. Mal seizes her opportunity in the chaos, grabs a gun and starts shooting wildly at me, even as the ground beneath her feet crumbles and falls away. I dodge easily around the bullets, and when I sense her gun's nearly out of ammo, I pull one of her shots close to me, spin around and send it back to her. It bites into her leg and she falls to a knee. She's huffing and puffing. She raises the gun again and pulls the trigger. Click. Empty. She throws the thing away in disgust. And then beneath her, the ground crumbles and is swept away by the water. At the last moment, she lunges forward and grabs hold of a crack. She hangs, half in the water, half out, the water pulling at her legs, trying to take her over the side. Are you just going to stand there or are you going to help me? She says through gritted teeth. I approach the edge cautiously. I wouldn't put it past her to have one last trick up her sleeve. I reckon I'll just watch, I tell her. She smiles to herself. Looks like I managed to teach you a thing or two after all. I squat down to look her in the eye. You think you taught me this? I was born this way. Difference is, I had a teacher who taught me there's more to live in than hating other people. I look out off the cliff and she follows my gaze. When you go over the side, there won't be nothing left of you. Not even a memory, not even a stain on the earth. All the hate you tried to bring into this world, forgotten. I snap my fingers, like that. Her lips twist. She pushes up with her hands, trying to grab me. But the ground gives way beneath her and she falls back into the water. And that's the last I see of her. There's not even a screen, just a dark shape going over the edge and the mist rising up like the soul leaving a body. Cub! It's Lobo. I look around for them and find him, Cass, and Nico fending off a new volley of gunslingers pouring through the broken gate and pushing them back toward the water. Down the lane, running horizontal to the river, a new regiment follows after, ready to step into the boots of their fallen comrades and continue the push. It's hopeless. I join them in a line, furiously deflecting and throwing back their shots. Lobo and Cass have both been shot, I don't know how many times. Nico furiously reloads round after round, firing into the crowd. Then he runs out of ammo, grabs another shooter off the ground, and continues on. Then I remember the balloon. I look up and there they are, so close I can make Knack out among the crowd of faces. If we can hold them off just a few more minutes, then maybe... Cass cries out and collapses. Lobo catches her on the way down, cradling her head in his hands, and Nico and I step in front of them to shield them from the onslaught. I dare to glance back at the balloon. It's still at least a minute or two away. There's too many of them, Nico yells. Get behind me! Get Cass and Lobo ready to jump aboard the balloon! What? Just do it, damn it! He falls back. And then it's just me against the horde of gunslingers. Suddenly they stop shooting. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. They reorganize into regimented lines and watch me, perhaps expecting my surrender. I close my eyes and focus on the strongest part of myself, the thing that has sustained me in my darkest moments. Mal thought it was my anger, and for a while I believed her. But seeing Nico again, being reminded of who he is in his heart, and what he means to me, being reunited with Lobo and Cass after I thought them dead, finding Knack and sharing in his kindness, reminded me it wasn't my anger, but my love that has seen me through to this moment. I find that love inside myself, and when I do, I settle into it, and suddenly I'm warm all over. My fingers buzz with energy. I open my eyes and stand square to the army of gunslingers. I am a wall. I am not afraid. And now, they lift their guns again. Every single one trained on me. Fire! One of them shouts. I lift my leg and bring my foot down hard pushing my palms forward as I do so, feeling each bullet as it flies towards me. And suddenly, they stop and drop straight down, plinking harmlessly to the ground. 20 bullets or more. For a moment, the gunslingers stand agape, looking at their guns like there's something wrong with them. And then someone shouts, keep shooting. And they raise their guns and continue firing, each volley like a cannon blast. And each time, I push forward with everything I have, stopping the bullets in midair. Emma, comes a voice from far away. And then again, louder this time. Emma, it's Snack. He's here, he's made it in time. He'll save us, everyone but me. Because if I fall back now, everyone will die. So I keep going, holding back the bullets. The sweat pours down my face, stinging my eyes. My muscles feel like lead. My legs have no more strength left in them. But I don't stop. I think of how I'm going to miss all of them. How I'm going to miss kissing Knack and hearing his voice. How I'm going to miss sitting down with Nico and talking to him about something other than all this damn fighting. And that sadness, so much a part of love, keeps me going. And then there's someone standing alongside me. It's Lobo. He smiles at me serenely. His hands and clothes are covered in blood, and I think it's all a dream. It's okay, Cub, he says. It's time to go. 
I can't, I tell him. If I stop, it's not your time, he says. Let this old man carry the burden. And then Nico's arms are around me, lifting me up and carrying me away. I shout to let me go, but he holds me tight. And I'm so tired, I don't have the strength to fight back. I look over his shoulder and watch as Lobo charges into the fray of bullets and gunslingers, holding them off just long enough for Nico to load me into the basket and to push off. We sail over the side and in a moment we've disappeared into the mist and clouds and we're gone. We sail deep into the Southland. Cass lies unconscious, but alive, on the floor of the basket. Nico sits with his back against the reed wall. His face is wan and tired looking. His hair is slick with blood. He notices me looking at him and says, I'm sorry. I know, I say. I love you. His eyes widen with surprise, and then he smiles as best he can. I lean my head back and close my eyes. I know that one day I'll think back and won't be able to picture Lobo's face. I won't be able to remember his voice. I know that one day all I'll have of him are memories, flawed and sunspotted and faded. But right now, I can close my eyes and picture him perfectly. I can still smell him. I can still hear his voice telling me to stand up, to keep going. I can still hear the way he called me Cub, like I was his daughter all along. The tears roll down my cheeks and I don't try to wipe them away, just in case he can see them and knows they're for him. Nax slumps next to me in the basket and puts his arm around me. I lean into him and he brushes my hair with his hand. It'll be okay, he says. I open my eyes and smile at him. It already is. The sun sits on the horizon, an orange-red disc flat against the sky. The familiar Southland heat prickles my skin. The clean smell of the earth fills my lungs. We will fly for some time still, over the edge of the horizon. And when we touch down, I'll press my palms to the ground and know I'm home. Wherever that is, I will dig a grave and fill it with all the things Lobo gave me. Memories, love, pain, <laughs> and all these scars. These things will fill that space in the ground like a body. And when I cover it all with dirt, I know I will cry and miss him. And then I'll hear his voice again telling me to get up, to keep moving. And I will. You're listening to Bullet Catcher Season 2 by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, 
erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Bullet Catcher is written by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Marco Palmieri and executive produced by Molly Barton. Performed by Inez del Castillo. Audio produced, directed, and designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Hashem Asadolahi with performances by Justin Morell and Josh Deutsch. Cover art by Christine Barcelona. <laughs>